0: Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who will be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. Tonight's Speakeasy Chat is being brought to you by the Audiobook Reviewer. Visit audiobookreviewer.com to find hundreds of audiobook reviews, learn how to get your audiobook reviewed, and find out more about the ABR Audiobook Listener Awards. There's also a link to audioafterdark.org, the website for the new podcast being created by audiobook reviewers Paul Stokes and Brian Crespin, Audiobooks After Dark. Tonight's chat is also brought to you by the Audiobookworm. Jess, the Audiobookworm, specializes in audiobook promotion, and she has a new publication out titled The Narrator Resource Guide, where she offers all kinds of helpful information about promoting your narration business and your audiobooks. Head on over to audiobookwormpromotions.com to learn more about the guide. You can find it under Services. And with promo code COCKTAILS, you can get a $10 discount. And now, come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. My guest here in the Speakeasy tonight is an author and an audiobook director and narration coach who recently played a big part in Johnny Heller's New England Narrators Retreat. Paul Allen Rubin, thanks for joining me in the Speakeasy tonight. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to it. I'm so glad you could come in. What are you drinking tonight, Paul? Uh,
1: You know, right now, um, just a little red wine. Uh, it's only my ninth, so I think I sound fairly coherent, right?
0: <laughs> you sound perfectly coherent to good. me. You must be well-practiced at small amounts of red wine. It's a little watered wine.
1: down, you know, yeah. one <laughs> gallon of water per ounce of red wine, so I think I'm pretty good.
0: And uh, and what kind of red wine is it? What what varietal?
1: Uh, you know, I never even look at the varietal or the type. I'm I'm quickly reminded of uh, there was a chef um, on television a long time ago. You know, one of these guys was on TV and he was from New Orleans. Um, do, mm-hmm. do you know what I'm referring to? I don't know if you're into I, food shows or whatever. I think I do. Yeah, I, I can't yeah, remember. I think, you know, Paul no, not Paul Perdum, but he had a thick Cajun accent.
0: Uh, he's and, the only one I can think of.
1: Yeah, and he was making something one time, and he said, uh, so, you know, a lot of people ask me what kind of wine go good with this, and I say, what kind you got? <laughs> it's a so that's good over. answer.
0: Not, yeah. not all that important what the varietal, var, no. varietal is as long as you like it. I like the varietal under $10. There you go. <laughs> that's the, the variety of wine that's cheaper. Yes. That's good. Well, yeah. I am joining you tonight in uh, something between a Tom Collins and a John Collins. A uh, The John Collins came first, and it was based on Genevieve, which is the precursor to modern-day gin. Tom mm-hmm. Collins came about when they decided to make a John Collins with old Tom gin, and I'm drinking something from Holland, like Genevieve, but it's an elderflower gin, so it's not actually Genevieve, but it's not an old Tom either. So it's something between a John Collins and a Tom Collins, and uh, so far it's working just fine for me. So, and it worked for me too. Yeah, so Paul, thanks for coming in. Cheers. Cheers.
1: So Paul, where are you from? Uh, I was born, I'm a real New Yorker. I was born in Queens. Uh, before um, Queens was actually a borough. You know, it used to be a separate country, and then, you know, eventually it became a a borough and part of New York City. Yeah, wow. The native New Yorker. Just just kidding. Yes, a real New Yorker. Uh, So I was born and raised in Queens, although I've been all over the place. I went to college in South Dakota. I lived in Ohio for a few years. I lived in Chicago for a few years. Um, I met my wife at Southern Southern Illinois University, where I was a performer in a... um, theater company. But, um, uh, so, you know, all over Midwest East, mostly
0: native New Yorker. And you are back in New York now, right?
1: Yes. I live in Brooklyn and park slope where I live.
0: So, uh, so you went from New York and then you went to school in South Dakota. What is in South Dakota? I'm afraid I am (laughs) fairly ignorant about the schools in South Dakota.
1: Well, you can. There's a long line of those people. Um, <laughs> so, do you know the capital of South Dakota? Uh, it's Pierre, isn't it? That's well. Now I know you've never been to South Dakota. Yeah. <laughs> actually, they, they pronounce it Pierre. Pierre. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, Pierre. Just a little too uh, international for <laughs> South Dakota, if you know what I mean. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I actually I went to a small college called Yankton College, um, and uh, lots of interesting people. But came out of there. What did you study there?
0: Theater. Theater, yeah. So that was something that you wanted to do all along, huh?
1: It was. And then I got a master's degree in theater from Bowling Green State University. So I have a background. But I always liked directing. And I started directing when I was in college. Then I directed uh, after that. And when I moved to Chicago, I directed there. I directed some, uh, some dinner theater and summer theater. Um, and came to New York and directed a little bit here. And then when my son was born, <coughs> I um, <coughs> found myself being interviewed by someone who I met through, or, or someone who worked for Simon & Schuster, who I met through somebody else. And then this is when Audiobook World <coughs> was just taking off. Mm-hmm. And they told me, um, they asked me if I had any experience directing audiobooks. And I said, no, no, audiobooks. And, um, Nodded and uh, and they, they, they wanted someone to work with Stacy Keach,
2: <laughs>
1: who they were all intimidated by. And I said, Well, you know, I've worked with celebrities before. I've, I mean, if he's a halfway nice guy, it won't be a problem, sure. So I walked into the booth at Simon Schuster, had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I knew what I was doing as a director, but I'd, uh, I looked at the engineer and I said, I hope you know what you're doing. <laughs> and um, and that was my first audiobook, and that was probably um you
0: know in the very early 1990s. Mm, yeah. So um I was just talking to uh, Robin Witten recently and mm-hmm. we were we were talking about those early days of audiobooks. I think the first audiobook I listened to was in the late 80s, probably around 86 or 87 and it was really kind of a novel little thing and um then in the mm-hmm. 90s, you know, as, as we all know, the slope is pretty gradual up until about five or 10 years ago when, uh, when they really took off. So right. I'm, I'm interested in the directing. So when you were doing theater in school and you knew that you wanted to do directing, um, <laughs> did you always start out that way? Or did you start out in your, in your theater career in school as a performer and then decide as you were doing that that you wanted to go into directing?
1: The latter. I started out as a performer. Um, I actually worked a year at Second City, Second City company. Yeah. Um, But even then, I knew that I preferred directing. I just simply got more um, uh, jazzed directing than I did acting. Mm -hmm.
0: So so it was fairly fairly early on, even though you started as a performer, you kind of switched to directing.
1: Definitely yes, well, and once go ahead. Sorry.
0: No, that, that, that's great It's just that I, um, I I'm not too surprised at that because I don't know too many people who start out wanting to be a director But mm. who, in, who instead start out as a performer and then realize in the whole process of course as you're in the process You see all the different pieces that go into a, a good production and and I, I think that typically what happens is they go wow so the director that's cool
1: I do agree with you. I think most people do not start out wanting to be a director, but there's something alluring about being a director. Sure. Yeah. Uh, it re- reminds me of, um, no, I don't know if I should tell you this. This Sister Mary, you know about Sister Mary when she met the Pope? No, don't think I know, you know about her. Um, okay, it's very quick. Won't take too much of your time. Okay. So, anyway, very famous <laughs> Sister Mary met the Pope. Uh, that she was going to be canonized. The Pope said, oh, my God, Sister Mary, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread or sliced cracker or wafer or whatever it is that, <laughs> that they eat. And, um, and oh, thank you, Your Holiness. And she's about to leave. And he said to her, Sister Mary, if there's anything that I can do for you, anything, please let me know, and I will. And she said, well, Your Holiness, I have always wanted to direct. <laughs> You know, that's, that's that's the lure of directing. I think lots of people, um, although as you said, and I agree totally sort of gravitate to it once they, there's something about it that again, seems kind of alluring. I, I
0: agree. I think that's a great word for it. And that's what I experienced. I, I never did try to get into directing, but there were times as I was going through the process of, of acting in a play and working with other people, uh, of course, you know, to a certain extent, depending on who your cast is, it's a little bit like herding cats, but um, mm-hmm. but there were times when I would look at it and I would think, oh, so that's what the director wants. Okay, so my job is to do what the director wants, but mm-hmm. wouldn't it be interesting to do this instead? And, mm-hmm. and I, I kept thinking about, wow, if I could get in as an assistant director someplace and get a little bit of experience that way, I bet this is something that I would really enjoy doing. And it just, it never happened. But, um, mm-hmm. but I, I did find it very alluring. I think that's a, a yeah. good word for it.
1: I hear you. I do. Yeah.
0: So you started directing audiobooks way back in the, uh, probably early hey, nineties with, uh, with Stacy Keach. Uh, do you remember what the book was?
1: <sighs> I, uh, you know what? Um, I might, if I remember it while we're talking, I'll tell you. Um, it was a, it's a famous, well-known private detective. There's a million books about him, and if I,
0: I'm not surprised knowing Stacey, having yeah, having seen Stacey I it, I'll
1: tell you, uh, yeah. he was great. By the way, did a great job. We got along very well. We got friendly and talked to him a little bit afterwards. So it was easy, and that really was how I got started. And, um, when I do, and I do remember, you know, kind of working with him and thinking to myself, yeah, he's just, uh, just treat him like an actor and he'll be okay. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy to talk about at any time what I think treating him like an actor means, because that's how I treat narrators when I direct them.
0: So, so yeah, that's a, uh, that's, that's a, a really interesting, interesting phrase, treat treat him like an actor. So what does that mean to you?
1: Well, I think what it means is the following. When I think about audiobook narrators, especially a lot of the people that I've worked with, either coached or, or directed, um, there's a hard term called voice actor, which for me I've always thought of as an oxymoron because the voice can't act. It's just a, um, just a, a, an instrument that, that makes noise.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, all to say that I find um, some uh, uh, narrators um, enamored of their voice, thinking perhaps that their voice is what will, uh, engage a listener. And in my experience, um, it's great to have a great voice. It certainly is. That said, um, the voice may engage the listener for a second or two, but if the actor is not acting, if the narrator is not acting, I should say, um, then the voice actually becomes the narrator's enemy and not their ally.
0: Well, wow, that's, that's, that's great. I like how you finished that. Uh, I was, I was thinking that it was more just, it doesn't help, but instead it actually hurts. And, and I, 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 I can absolutely see how that would be true. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm one of the, the legion of voice actors out there who go into their first voice acting workshop thinking, well, you know, people have always told me I have such a great voice and, mm-hmm. uh, and then learn within, um, Eh, maybe it wasn't within weeks. It should have been. But uh, in a fairly short period of time, yeah, your voice doesn't really have much to do with it. It's all about the acting.
1: I, I would say the voice I would and you do have a nice voice. I would say, in terms of audiobook narration, engaging a listener that is that is connecting the feelings embedded in the book, in the text, if you will, mm-hmm. to the listener because you can't connect the words. That's the author's job. Mm-hmm. Uh, words are not actable right? I mean, if I said, act, have a seat, what would, what would you do? What would anybody do?
0: Right. right. If I
1: said to you, um, your line is have a seat, um, and you're depressed now say, have a seat. So now you can do it because there's an emotionality beneath those words. You, you understand what the subtext is, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So once you, once you engage the feeling, which is an acting proposition, not a voice proposition, because the voice can't engage anything. It just makes noise. Mm -hmm. Then you can connect the listener. If, in fact, the narrator attempts to use the voice in order to essentially simulate reality or try to act, what they're likely to do is indicate, overact, uh, and they absolutely positively... Will not um be able to connect to the subtext because they're using the voice which can't do it So you're using the wrong instrument if you know what i'm saying
0: i do yeah yeah no yeah. that's that's great And uh, and it's a very nice succinct way of putting something that i have heard elsewhere um you know there's all kinds of discussions about acting and how much acting and how do you do this And how do you do that and so uh that, that's a very nice succinct way of putting that Mm, thanks. Thank you. So uh, do you have a specialty within audiobooks that you direct, or do you direct pretty much anything, anything that you prefer?
1: Well, I've always pretty much, um, <clears throat> you know, taken whatever the publisher gives. I mean, we, meaning directors, can't really... Uh, I mean, you, you know, you could tell the publisher, hey, I'd like to do this and I'd like to do that. And that sounds good, but it doesn't really work. Publishers are so busy, so crazy. They're going to just call you up and say, can you do this? Can you do that? You know, and, and and very often they might be calling you because they called somebody else who can't do it. And it just gets too complicated. Mm-hmm. What I do enjoy doing is working with um, narrators. And I'm lucky that, um, you know, um some narrators request me. So in that sense, um, I get to work with a great narrator. And then to me, the actual book doesn't make so much difference. It's wonderful to be able to direct a great book. Uh, often the books that all of us direct are not so good. Um, and, and so, uh, and so you're not going to get a lot of, uh, uh you're not going to really be jazzed by the book. But you can be jazzed by the by the narrator, by the storyteller.
0: Yeah, by the ability to take that book and take it off the page in a way that makes it better.
1: Well, I would say so, and and I think uh, what I what I when I coach them and when I talk to narrators, to um, I always suggest to them that that from your point of view, meaning from the point of view of the narrator, there is zero difference between the worst piece of junk you've ever read. And a Pulitzer Prize winning novel, let's say, Mm -hmm. zero difference, nothing, none. Your job is the same. And the words, um, even if you may not like them in the junkie book, um, are not your purview. The words belong to the author. Your job is to connect to the feeling. And so the similarity is, is that the junkie book and the Pulitzer Prize winning novel are about people that are happy, sad. Angry, frustrated, etc., and that's what the narrator's job is—to connect to those feelings and then, in turn, connect those feelings to the listener.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely uh, calls out the acting there.
1: Yeah, so that they, so that really, I'm not responsible for the book, and neither is the narrator. You're not responsible for the book. You're responsible for the connecting the feelings. Uh, in, in you know beneath the words to the listener, that's a hundred percent of the responsibility, yeah. So,
0: what are some uh, memorable titles that you've directed? Um, anything that was particularly challenging, uh, whether it's whether it's because the text was junky, or well, actually, if the text was bad, don't tell me the title of the book. But, I w- I uh, won't <laughs> but whether it was because of the text or because it was difficult working with the narrator, or because it was very easy working with the narrator, I'm, I'm just curious. What 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 are some uh, experiences that you've had that kind of stick out in your mind?
1: Rather than a specific. Title per se. Well, let me let me say it this way. I find directing uh, drama, if you will, dramatic fiction, mm-hmm. far easier than directing comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, I subscribe to dying is easy, comedy's hard. I, I agree comedy is really hard <laughs> really hard and I think the reason at least my reason you know the reason I find it challenging it can be done is because there's a there's another layer in comedy that doesn't exist in drama that you have to kind of work with work with in order to to sort of make it organic and that is the following is that um, um, narrators seem more intuitively predisposed to emotionally connect to let's say whatever the feelings are in drama Well in in comedy um, you're not you're not really connecting to the feelings um, it, it, the humor is is really a kind of an intellectual pursuit meaning the reason that people laugh, um, is because they understand the references that are made. Mm-hmm. If they don't understand, if they don't understand the references, they won't laugh. So if you're doing a book and it's all, let's say, um, Manhattan Jewish humor, and somebody from South Dakota is listening to that, <laughs> it might not work. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. And so and so, uh, narrators have a tendency to push too hard to try to somehow. Um, make humor funny and um, that's the layer that that is can be really difficult to work with and I always tell narrators these characters don't know that they're funny so you can't help them don't help the words don't help don't help the book don't help it be funny yeah so then what do you do how does it become funny so real quickly, humor usually and you can see it in the book and the text, most of what goes on in humor is there's a certain there's a particular kind of exaggeration that occurs in 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 the syntax that you just don't see in in um, in drama and so I think the narrator's job is to take that exaggeration seriously but not too seriously and there's mm-hmm. kind of a fine line there anyway. I, I could totally see
0: that from from the uh, comedies that I've done on stage, uh, and and the comedies I've seen on stage. Yeah. It seems like my my most common complaint about what I'm seeing from other actors or in a performance that I'm that I'm watching as an audience member is trying too hard. And if the author's done a good job, and if it is funny on its own, don't try very hard, and that's what's going to make it funny.
1: Well, I appreciate that. Funny on its own. You're absolutely right. I mean, either it's funny on its own or it isn't. Mm -hmm. If you, the narrator or actor, try to help it and make it funny, um, it's almost, I think, uh, a foregone conclusion that um, no one's going to laugh. Yeah. I find nonfiction, frankly, in some ways more challenging to, to direct than fiction. So how much
0: nonfiction have you directed? I mean, is it kind of an even split or do you do way more fiction or?
1: No, it's an even split. Really? Uh, uh, Yeah. Now I would say where I do more fiction with narrators because a lot of nonfiction is done with authors. So I don't do as much with narrators, but the nonfiction I do with narrators, I find more challenging for for the following reason. Narrators often feel even more predisposed to use their voice to to narrate nonfiction,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and so often the nonfiction to my ear sounds like um, uh, a kind of a if you imagine a kind of a wavy wave, a lot of voice modulation, and it just da 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 da, and you know, ten hours of that it's a lot.
0: Maybe too much. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, I understand that in addition to being an audiobook director for many years now, you are now an
1: author. Well, you're very kind to mention that. I really appreciate it. Um, I thought to myself, boy, if he doesn't say that I'm an author, how do I? how do I suddenly how do you say, work it in? How do I suddenly <laughs> work in. Can you stop right now? You know, I'm an author. Uh, <laughs> subtle enough to me. So I've always written. I've written a lot for audiophile um, over the years. Lots of, you know, uh, articles and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've written for other publications. Um uh, I've written nonfiction. Um, I wrote a, I wrote a textbook, uh, et cetera. And then, um, about six, five, six years ago, I thought I'm going to devote myself more to writing. I got a MFA in, in, um, uh, fiction, uh, and, uh, and I wrote, um, uh, a short story collection. I have a novel that I'm just about done with, but the short story collection is what's being published, um, next week, actually this November 6th is the publication date. And so, I'm hoping anybody who listens to that might be interested in ordering it. It's on Amazon, and the audio version is on Audible. And what's the Uh, title? The title is Terms of Engagement, Stories of the Father and Son. And are these all fiction, or
0: is some of this maybe specifically based on your life as a father, or...
1: That's such an interesting question. It's fiction. It's not based on my life. Um, uh, in other words, the characters and the events are all fiction. Um, so not based on specific, um, events or characters that I knew in my life Mm -hmm. that said, um, I think most fiction, um, the, the, the sort of, um, themes that, that, that a writer feels like, um, uh, uh, interrogating in their fiction uh, emanate from their life, and so in that sense, it, there's a lot of um, autobiography in there. Yeah. These are things that, for me, have always been, you know, percolating, and they emerge um, from my experience almost completely. As a son, <clears throat> I do have I do have a child. I do have a son who now is a big grown-up young man,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: um, but but it's not about he and I, it's more the, the themes emerge from my relationship with my father and me.
0: Got it. Well, that sounds really interesting. And I know that there are a number of very um influential audiobook narrators who are narrating the stories in the book. I'm curious though, you have been involved in the audiobook industry for years and years and years. You are a director and you did not narrate your own book. Why is that?
1: Uh, that's a, a great question too. I appreciate it. Um, a, a bunch of people have asked me why didn't you narrate it. First of all, the stories are there are there are nine stories in the book, and and some of them, I mean, you know, uh, like one for example is from the point of view of an adolescent, you know, of a 17 year old. So I'm just a little bit over 17, and me narrating <laughs> from the point of view of a 17 year old seem a little strange. The real reason I didn't do it is because I thought to myself, and I always think to myself, and in fact, uh, one of the books that I narrated a long time ago and won a earphone award for was a book where I told the publisher, you know, I've auditioned a bunch of people. And really, I think I can do this better than any of the people I've auditioned. They said, well, then you go ahead and do it. And that was for Highbridge. And um, here, I felt every time I thought of who, who should narrate this story, I always thought of lots of people that do a better job than me and, um, and, uh, and do, and do a lot more justice to it. Um, even though arguably, you know, do I know my story better than they do? I do, but that doesn't mean that I can perform it better than they do. So, uh, uh, there are some wonderful people on the, on the, um, audio program, um, including, um, George Guadal, Eduardo Ballerini, um, Scott Brick, uh, uh, you know, uh, lots of, lots of really great, great people.
0: Yeah. I think I knew all or most of the names that I saw.
1: There's one man on there who, this was his first audiobook. book. Uh, so he, you're probably not um, uh, familiar with him. Um, his last name is Butali and why I'm not remembering his first name, but it, it'll come to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, um, uh, you know, I felt, I felt more, more interested in trying to work with them as a director to get the kind of performance out of them that that I knew they were capable of. And that was more fun for me, even though I probably drove them all a little bit crazy, but they were all <laughs> very, very, very kind and nice to me. And um I think they're all still talking to me.
0: Well, that's 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 good to hear. I'm glad it wasn't a bad experience for anyone. Um it does kind of kind of lead into well first, let me back up just a second. You said you wrote a textbook? I did. What was that?
1: And that was called um, Public Thinking, Public Speaking. It was a it was a college textbook for junior college, um, aimed primarily at you know two year college students. And because I was long, long time ago, I was teaching part time public speaking.
0: Oh wow, that's really interesting. So
1: I I wrote it with the chairman of the department and. Um, yeah. So, uh, I'm not
0: sure that I've ever met somebody who has written a textbook. I, I've certainly, you know, been in touch with quite a few authors, but,
1: um, yeah, that's, uh, that's,
0: that's really interesting.
1: It's not something you generally br- like bring up at a cocktail party. <laughs> <laughs> you meet somebody new, you say, Hey, you know, uh, you don't know me, but, I wrote a textbook. It <laughs> yeah, just feels not, like there's lots of other things to want to talk about. Not, you know?
0: not quite as interesting as directing audiobooks. Maybe not. No. <laughs> it, 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 is very, I, it is very cool though. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But I, I definitely enjoyed it. So you
0: uh, did not narrate your own. And you also mentioned that uh, some of the direction that you've done for nonfiction has been with authors. So I'm curious about your experience there and how that has been working with authors who maybe aren't audiobook narrators in addition to being authors. Have you had any, uh, do you you have any thoughts on how that works best?
1: I do. Uh, I've worked with a few authors who have a performance background. Um, And I worked uh, not long ago, and I'm liable to forget this guy's name too, but um, whatever. I went down to Miami and worked with an author, it was a YA book, and he started to narrate the book. And I said to him, do you, have you ever acted before? Do you have an acting background? And he said, yeah, yeah, I, I have. <clears throat> and he said, you know, so if you want to direct me, please do. I said, OK, I'm just going to work with you like I would an actor. He did a wonderful job, won an award for it. Random pub, Penguin Random House was very happy. He was thrilled. Everybody was thrilled. So all to say, the short story is if, if the author has a performance background, then I can work with them as a director and I can help them improve their Performance. If the author does not have a performance background, in my experience, the very best you can do is make that author comfortable, keep them happy, um, and hope that they will get relaxed enough to do as good a job as they possibly can do. And the reason that I can't direct them is because, in my experience, if I try to direct them as an actor, they just can't hear what I'm saying mm-hmm. in a way that emotionally connects them to their own work. And that's why even though the narrator – sorry, even though the the author intellectually knows his work better than anybody, if they're not a performer, it doesn't mean that they can translate what they know into giving a good performance.
2: Yeah.
1: So, so I, I have one – little story with a, a woman named Ella, I think she pronounces her last name, Bateman. She writes literary fiction, she's wonderful, she writes just incredible stuff. And um, she said to me, oh, please help me, you know, help me perform. And I said, okay. And it was pretty evident to me that she, you know, wasn't an actress and just wouldn't be able to do it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But But she asked me a couple of times, and at one point in her story, so see if you relate to this as an actor. At one point in her story, there's this love interest, and these two people are are, you know, getting sort of romantic with each other. And I said to her, So so I said, on a scale of one to ten, how how much do these two people like each other? Just scale of one to ten. And she said, Oh, well, you know, a ten. I said, so and I'd known her now for a day, we'd worked together, it was great. I said, So on a scale of one to ten, how what number do you think I think their interest in one another sounds like the way you're reading it. And she said, oh, well, I don't know, maybe five. And I said, well, you could go a little lower. <laughs> she said, uh, and then she laughed and I said, we'll get somewhere between maybe two, 2.3. And I said, so how can we, and then I said, so um, you're going to narrate this story from the point of view of this woman and I said, and I want you to, we're going to start by trying to get you to connect to how this woman feels about him. Look at your heart. Look at where that feeling is. And she said to me, oh, I, I don't think I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the end of that. Narrate and read, and we had a great time.
0: Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. Um, <laughs> I know that when I spoke with Jamie Matler a while back, she said that she has worked with authors. And that sometimes uh, it has worked out best when she's actually been able to do like a coaching session with or one or two coaching sessions with the author as a narrator before actually starting the narration. Have you ever done anything like that?
1: A, a little bit. And I certainly can see that because I think it calms them down and makes them comfortable. And, you know, it's very conceivable that they're going to do a better job <clears throat> in my experience. Um what you achieve by something like that is um, uh, kind of um, polishing and apple, can I say? Mm-hmm. With, yeah. Right? I mean, you'll make it a shinier apple, but you won't make it a performance.
0: Right, right. Could help, but, uh, Could help. but that's it. Could help.
1: Couldn't hurt. And I'll yeah. tell you that sometimes if you if you say things to authors in an effort to get them to perform better, they misinterpret them. And then the performance, what they do is worse. I, I they could they absolutely overact, see that. Over enunciate. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Indicate. It, it could. Yeah. The best author I ever worked with. The most fun was T.C. Boyle. Mm-hmm. He he was great. He, he he let me help him, and he did a great job. That's great. That's good.
0: So you do have some positive experiences there working with oh, uh, with yes. author narrated works.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. That's, that's great. So uh, you've been directing for a long time Have you ever taught regular acting classes in person for like stage work or anything like that?
1: I have but a long time ago for <clears throat> a long time ago for the stage so, and then
0: and then you got into audiobooks, You know over 25 years ago. Uh, when did you start coaching audiobook narration?
1: I would say um, Probably for the last 15 years um, I've I've been coaching um, and when I coach, to me, it's an acting class. Period. The only difference is, I'm not. Well, I mean, there are differences. You know, that you're not reading from a script, so you're not reading just, you know, uh, Rich's lines or whatever it is. Right. And obviously, you know, we're working with a book and not with a, with a play. That said, when I when I teach or coach, um, I envision myself as simply being an acting teacher.
0: So I don't want to uh, take away from the experience that the narrators had recently at the uh, New England narrators retreat, but give me a little taste of what you would do or what you spoke about while you were at the retreat.
1: I think mostly what I spoke about at the retreat, uh, when, when we were in front of, you know, all of the people who were there on a little panel or a little forum or whatever it was, what I spoke about in my mind even though I didn't use this vocabulary was um, always trying to focus people on what I would argue is organic storytelling mm-hmm. um, as opposed to reading or even narrating. And so the, my focus was always to come back to um, <clears throat> to uh, a conversation that, that was pointed at getting the narrator to as i said earlier connect to the subtext understand what the stakes are match those stakes um emotionally and then connect those feelings uh to the listener um when i worked with i worked with some narrators you know by themselves we all worked there were a bunch of people there you know like me and We worked um, with some of the narrators a little bit one-on-one. And what I found with those narrators was often what I find with a lot of narrators, and that would be the following. In fiction, for example, there's a tendency to report rather than connect. So what I mean by that is um, there are, Multiple ways to say um, John walked into the room, sat down and realized that he just he just didn't want to be a financial analyst anymore. Mm -hmm. So we assume that John's not feeling so good. If you report that information, if that information is sort of reported by the narrator, what you get is this kind of distant narration. John walked into the room, sat down and realized he didn't want to be a financial analyst anymore. So when I hear something like that, I think to myself, okay. so now you've reported that information to me, but I don't feel anything and neither do you.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So if I tell you and tell them, get inside this guy's head, this is the point of view that you're narrating from. You have to connect to his feeling. You're not him. This is third person, obviously, but you have to get close enough to him to connect to that feeling. You can't use so much voice and then and then less voice, get inside the head, get inside the head, connect to that feeling that he's depressed or unhappy right now. Now say that same line. And, um, you know, after I badger them for, you know, two or three or four or five times and say, let's do it again, do it again, do it again, get it. Get Get Um, I got pretty good results. And, you know, I, when I, when I coach people, um, I, I think I may have a reputation of, um, Stopping people quickly. Uh, although, although <laughs> I, I, can,
0: I can verify, Paul, that you have that reputation. <laughs> thank you.
1: Uh, man's got to know his limitations. <laughs> uh, but I think I'm respectful all the time. That that I like to think. Anyway, I have never had a narrator tell me that I was disrespectful.
0: I have never heard that either. So uh, yeah. so I think you're good.
1: <laughs> I hope so. The reason I do it is because um, I think to myself that narrating or acting in some ways if you want to use a kind of a a sports metaphor or you know uh, going to the gym is you number one if you if you believe that you want to do you know 50 push-ups but you can't do one then you got to start the practice you do one you do two you do five you do six you do seven and then all the way pretty soon you get up to 50. So I'll stop and try to identify something and get to it right there and then repeat it and then repeat it. And so that the narrator kind of ingests it and feels it and says, Oh, okay. Now I think I can replicate this, or at least I hope that they can. And secondly, I'm, I do not think that the best way to, um, to, to get a better performance is to wait and talk about something it's hard to talk about performance and have the narrator actually learn from that. I find it easier to say, OK, hey, let's I know I just stopped you after four seconds. Let's identify this. Let's go back. And then I make my best effort to give that narrator an actable direction that changes the performance. And that narrator can feel it. Then I often say to them, so, OK, you feel the difference, right? You feel it. You feel it. You feel it. And many times, most of the time, I think the narrator says, yeah, 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 I do. So even though it's horrifying to be stopped after nine seconds of, you know, speaking mm-hmm. and I'm trying to get better. <laughs> right. My goal is to let narrators go on a little bit more.
0: Well, uh, like I said, I, I have heard that about your coaching, but yeah. I, I have never heard anybody say, and so I didn't like it. what I've always what I've always heard is so yeah you know you'll get a word out and then Paul stop you and then and then you'll move on and I've always heard that that was uh, extremely beneficial
1: well I appreciate that thanks yeah as long as they're not being thinking that I'm being rude or uh,
0: oh no I've never heard that
1: (laughs) and, and I think the reason is because I at least in I feel that who is more vulnerable than an actor you know if you're if you're selling Magazines and somebody says I hate those magazines. Eh, Okay. Those magazines aren't you But but it's you that's out there. It's you that's that's giving of you and Mm -hmm. I try to be respectful of the fact that You know, that's puts the narrator in a very vulnerable position.
0: Sure. Yeah Um, Do you coach any other voiceover genres or is it just audiobook narration? 99%
1: 99% audiobook narration. And a long time ago, I coached a little bit of, um, of uh, how do you call it? <laughs> I'm sorry, commercial voiceover. Mm-hmm. But uh, it just wasn't interesting to me. I'm much more like uh, audiobook narration. Because to me, audiobook narration is acting, eh, voiceover. <laughs> if you're doing a voiceover for, I don't know, you know, an automobile. Mm-hmm. I, I, you could, I, maybe it's acting, but it doesn't feel like acting to me. And, yeah. and what's required for it doesn't feel like acting to me. If, especially if every, if I ask that person, so who's the star of the voiceover, you or the or the automobile? They all say the automobile. Mm-hmm. And in audiobook world, I think the 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 real focus of the of the attention is is the narrator. Mm-hmm. Even though, yeah, the book is of course you know, the focus of the, of attention for the, for the listener along with the narrator. But, but what I mean is, is that there's a more, uh, uh, th- th- an effort to get the narrator to act is going to bear more fruit narrating fiction or even nonfiction than doing a one minute commercial for, you know, Chevrolet. Sure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It makes sense. Um, so you've already given us, uh, ton of information here, uh, and I think, in my case at least, some actionable information about what to think about, As, as since my audience is mostly narrators, I, that's what I'm, I'm gearing towards here, um, things to think about in terms of how to look at performances and stuff like that. So this feels a little redundant, but uh, do you have any words of wisdom for aspiring narrators out there? Uh, Any any advice that you can pass along in addition to all of the things that you've already said?
1: (laughs) Sure Um, So my first my first uh, the first thing I'd like to say which is not advice and definitely not words of wisdom are um, uh, any human being who chooses to go to audible and or um, uh, Amazon and purchase the short story collection a, I would be thrilled, and B, I'll go out on a limb and say, all of these narrators did exactly what I asked them to do. And I think it might be fun, uh, and I, without being without being uh, sort of specious about it, I mean, yes, I would really appreciate it if you would purchase this novel, or, or, I'm sorry, short story collection, or the audio version. I mean, purely and simply, that would make me feel wonderful, and I would appreciate that. Um, a byproduct of that, other than hearing the stories, is um, you're going to hear some pretty well known narrators, uh, except for one who I think is very good, and their performance is by and large pretty much a reflection of um, how I think audiobook narration should be should should occur.
2: Mm-hmm. So in
1: terms of in terms of words of wisdom for I think you're thinking maybe more like an emerging or beginning narrator. Mostly,
0: although I have to say, I mean, well, I still consider myself mostly a beginner, although, you know, I've done quite a few. Um, yeah. I, I assume I'm going to be feeling like a novice for another few years, probably. Um, yeah. but, but even for narrators like me who've got, you know, 20, 50, uh, 75 books out there, sure. um, you can always learn, right? And you can always get better. And so yeah. I, I am thinking primarily about new narrators who are just getting started, but uh, also for those of us who have a few more.
1: Absolutely. Um, all right. I, if I if I had, you know, just a minute or two to sum it up and say what I think is most important is the following. There is a buttload of um audiobook narrators out there in the universe right now. Correct? Mm, I mean yeah. everywhere. Yep. So that means your competition is just um staggering from my perspective. It's just unbelievable how many narrators. I've coached narrators all over the country in foreign countries. You know, there are Americans that live in foreign countries. It's insane. So the question then is, is if you're a narrator and you think to yourself, what is it that's actually going to propel someone to hire me over someone else who's say, like me, same type of vocally sort of similar to me, what really is it that's going to propel them, you know, the 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 employer, to hire them over me? I would say the following. The better actor is going to get the job 100% of the time, you know, unless there's some specific extenuating circumstance. Mm-hmm. That's what they're listening to they they meaning the the publishers or or whoever it is that's going to be the author whoever's going to employ you if it's you know ACX for example mm-hmm. so that i would advise all narrators especially people who are beginning to leave their voice outside the booth and remind themselves that this that audiobook narration is an acting proposition and that um the the more adept they are at connecting to that subtext at engaging the feelings beneath the words at connecting to the point of view if it's third person at engaging the feelings and matching the stakes if it's first person and the more believably and organically they can Feel those feelings, and then in turn connect those feelings to the listener. The better they're going to do, the more hireable they're going to become.
0: That sounds, uh, from from what I've heard from a lot of other coaches uh, here in the speakeasy and outside, uh, that sounds like great advice.
1: Well, thanks. I, I I don't think it's brain surgery. I wish it was. <laughs> I wish I could start ten thousand dollars to coach. Audiobook narration and say with a straight face, you know, look, it's going to take six years and at least ten thousand a year for you to just You know be able to stick that thing in somebody's skull, you know, and stir it around and, and do a good job, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so that would be advice
0: that that's great. I certainly appreciate that I uh, have to try to remember that all the time, especially with nonfiction sometimes um,
1: Definitely.
0: about you know, making sure that it's about storytelling. Uh, I know that Sean Pratt says, and, uh, and several other people who, uh, Jeffrey Kafer, I think, has mentioned this as well, that uh, think that nonfiction can be harder. But uh, at its heart, it's still the same thing. It's still storytelling. And so having the acting chops to do that right for whatever it is, whether it's nonfiction or fiction, uh, certainly seems to be at the top of the lists of all of the coaches that I've spoken with.
1: I 100% agree. Uh, nonfiction is not voice acting; it's acting. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a, as, I think, as I sort of mentioned earlier, or or wanted to mention, is that, is that um, it's it's especially if actors uh, are used to doing voiceovers or or have that kind of background, it's just so easy to say in 1851, 14 men emerged from Kansas. And rode across the country on their horses. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's not acting. Yeah. That's that's. Now I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not that much. Yeah. If you know what I, mean. No, I mean. And what that does, real quick. I think. I think what's important for emerging narrators to understand is what the consequence of narrating that way is. The simple consequence is that you are now artificially reporting information, and it's guaranteed that you will get the opposite of what you want, which is you want the listener to be connected, you disconnect the listener with that sort of style. Mm -hmm. And the way to think about that is the following. When you listen to the news at night, and you hear that the newscaster has that kind of, you know, kind of, uh, uh, same, you know, same kind of rhythm as they speak. And this sort of almost disconnected feeling from the, you know, or this sort of almost disconnection from whatever it is that they're saying. Mm-hmm. That's because the newscaster's job is to provide you with information, not to make you feel anything. If the, if the newscaster said, Oh my God, um, you know, five people were, uh, it would be awfully difficult to watch that newscast. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, so that, so that the, the narrator who narrates nonfiction, this is the dead opposite of that. The nonfiction narrator is saying to you, um, you know what? Uh, they're saying the following, uh, Rich, there are five, Lessons that ev- about. All right, there are five lessons that every audiobook narrator needs to understand in order to create compelling audiobook narration. So you know, you can excuse me for not maybe winning the Academy Award with that, but you hear the difference in the cadence. You hear that how each word sounds important, and most importantly, you hear my desire to get you to say, "Wow." Wow. Okay, man. I'm gonna. I'm listening. I'm listening. Right. Got,
0: as, as opposed to you coming at it as I'm going to teach you something now.
1: You hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Yes. There are five ways to blah 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 blah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I am teaching you, but but that's a byproduct. You can't act teaching, but you can act. You can act um, super interested. You can you can act um, uh, uh, desirous of of the other person hearing you listening, you can want them to say, wow, wow, that those are, that's a, that's a much more actable approach. If you know what I mean?
0: I do and yeah. that's
1: how I approach nonfiction.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. I, I always think of it as, uh, if you're engaged, you'll be engaging. And, and so if you're actually connecting with it, uh, you can, every, Anybody listening will be connected as well.
1: A hundred percent agree with you. If you're engaged, you will be engaging. Absolutely. Yeah. Well,
0: Paul, that, that is great. This is uh, so much information. I, I'm going to listen to this again, of course, as I get it ready for, uh, for publication. And then I might just listen to it again a few times after that, because there's a lot of, uh, lot of great information in there. So thank you so much for coming in. Uh, where can people find you online if they want to?
1: Um, my pleasure. Thank you very, very much. Um, there's two websites you can go to. Uh, one is Tribeca Audio, T-R-I-B-E-C-A Audio. You know, .com. And then my website, which has m- more of my writing on it, is my full name, P-A-U-L-A-L-A-N-R-U-B-E-N.com. Uh, either one of those sites is, would be wonderful. So and then what, all my information, my Twitter, the Facebook, all that jazz is, uh, is
0: on those sites. So what is Tribeca Audio for?
1: Well, Tribeca Audio is what I established uh, some time ago as my audiobook website. And it's still up there. I don't, you know, contribute to it too much anymore, but it's still up there. And you can see about me as a coach and, you know, my two Grammy, uh, two, what do you call it? Uh, yeah. Grammy awards and all my other stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, and my background is an audiobook person. Okay. On audio. Yeah. Got
0: it. You're on uh, Twitter. Yeah, I am. Definitely. And what's yeah. your, uh, what's your handle there?
1: Oh my God. It's, um, I can never remember it. It's at P-A-U-L. Oh, God, I'd have to go look it up. No, you know that's what? all
0: right. i, I uh, I'll put it in the show notes because I'm yeah, pretty, sure, it, pretty sure that you'll I follow see it you. If you, go
1: to, if you go to paulallenrubin.com, you'll see it on Twitter.
0: Okay. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Uh, that's great. So people can get a hold of you for uh, coaching or questions or yeah. uh, or what have you. Absolutely. They definitely can. All right. That sounds great. Well, Paul, thank you so much for coming in. I hope the uh, small amount of red wine that you had there, glass number nine, was good My uh, Tom, John, whatever Collins has uh, been quite good and it's almost gone.
1: Excellent. Wonderful. Well, thanks for giving me your time too. I really appreciate it. You devoted a lot of time to uh, listening to me, (laughs) excuse me, go on and on and on. So uh, I do appreciate it. Believe me, when when
0: somebody like you goes on and on about the topics that you go on and on about, I am all ears. (laughs) Thank you. I I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Paul.
1: Very good, Rich. Thank you very much again.
0: Well, that's it for tonight.
1: Many thanks to Paul
0: Allen Rubin for stopping in. I really appreciate all the nuggets of acting wisdom he shared, and I hope you enjoyed our chat as much as I did. Thanks also to the sponsors for tonight's episode, The Audiobook Reviewer and The Audiobookworm. Check out audiobookreviewer.com for audiobook reviews, how to get your audiobook reviewed, and information about the ABR Audiobook Listener Awards and the Audiobooks After Dark podcast. And visit audiobookwormpromotions.com to find out more about Jess's narrator resource guide. Don't forget to use promo code COCKTAILS if you'd like to pick up a copy. You can find the audiobook Speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook Speakeasy. If you're enjoying our Speakeasy chats, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated and helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers!